836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We're moving into the final three days of Summerfest. As I was telling Gene, I was down there yesterday. Um, just a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun to walk around the grounds. The, uh, it was hot, I will say that. It was 90-some degrees and wasn't a lot of shade to be found. But other than that, toughed it out and good times and good music. And if you haven't had a chance to get down there, um, got three more days. And then we have to wait a whole other year for it. It, just, it seems like you wait all year for Summerfest. It arrives and then it's just gone so quickly. But go down and enjoy Summerfest. Um, and I know we're going to be giving away the free ride. I saw that vehicle yesterday. Group I was with. Everybody signed up, registered for their chance to win. Now, I didn't sign up myself, but we'll, um, somebody's going to win that car on Sunday night. That will be fun. All right. Remember about a week ago in what was... One of the most staggeringly stupid statements that I have ever heard come out of the mouth of a public official. And I understand that is saying a lot. Ed Flynn decided that he has he understands why there is ongoing violence in the city of Milwaukee. The problem, remember, concealed carry permit holders. The irresponsible law leading to lawlessness and gun violence in the city of Milwaukee. And, and he says this. Well, of course, without any evidence at all, the head of the police union challenges him. He said, you, I, you, you know I can't disclose any of that information. Well, they can't disclose it because he doesn't have it. He's just pulling that thought out of a certain part of his anatomy. And, you know, each day that goes by, it looks more and more ridiculous. Here's the latest story. One man was killed and three others were wounded Wednesday and Thursday in separate shootings on Milwaukee's north side. 28-year-old man was killed and a 27-year-old man was wounded in a shooting shortly before 3.30 p.m. Thursday on North 12th Street. The older man died at the scene. The other man showed up at the hospital with serious injuries. 22-year-old man was shot shortly after midnight Wednesday during a confrontation on North 27th Street. Um, they, the police say the victim is expected to survive. A 26-year-old man was shot shortly before 9 p.m. Wednesday on North 37th Street by an assailant with whom he has had an ongoing dispute. Guy was taken to the hospital by a relative. Shootings remained under investigation. All right, Hondo, who's producing the show today and always, what do you think the odds are that any of these various shootings were contributed to in any way, shape, or form by concealed carry permit holders. Do you think the two people that got into the gun battle were involved, were concealed carry permit holders? Do you think in, in the weird thinking of Ed Flynn that people are getting concealed carry permit hol- permits, walking around with concealed guns, and then he seems to be suggesting giving them to gangbangers who will then use them to shoot people? It's just, it is absolutely crazy. And part of the problem and part of the reason that you're never going to get a handle and violent crime in a city like Milwaukee is if you have a police chief who is flat out delusional when it comes to the causes of crime. And every day that goes by, these statements that Flynn makes about, well, it's concealed carry that's probably causing the problem, makes him look more and more ridiculous. Okay, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Things I think you need to know to talk about at the water cooler or the gym or at lunch or at Summerfest or whatever. Story number one. Juveniles continue to terrorize Milwaukee. When will enough be enough? Now, yesterday, I mentioned briefly the, the story about the, the five juveniles 
who were a part of like this ongoing auto theft ring, breaking, you know, driving the stolen car at 100 miles an hour, breaking into the auto dealer on 27th Street, sideswiping a cop as they tried to pull out at a high rate of speed. They caught a, one or two of them. A bunch of the other ones are, are still at large. But th- these are th- these are kids. These are 15-year-olds who, who are out, you know, creating this type of, of havoc. Then you have another story out of River West, 15 years old, 15 years old, and on the run for weeks. Milwaukee police have confirmed to Channel 6 a teenager wanted in connection with a serious series of robberies is finally behind bars at the Milwaukee County Juvenile Detention Facility. The teen allegedly went online and bragged about stealing cars for weeks. Members of the community, including a victim allegedly targeted by the team, reached out to him on social media, begging him to stop. Ultimately, what happened is police say a vehicle pursuit ended in a crash Wednesday night near Tetonia and Atkinson. Officials got the 15-year-old who has been eluding them. He was driving a car that was taken in a burglary in Brown Deer. They believe that the kid is also involved in other residential burglaries. Um, one of the victims says he plays the game. He plays it well. This is a 15-year-old who has been on Facebook bragging about stealing cars and robbing people and it was weeks before the police could catch him let me add this my guess is it is not this 15 year old's first time at the rodeo now it could be that he just woke up one morning and decided i'm going to go on a spree of burglarizing homes and stealing cars and eluding the police and bragging about it on facebook maybe he just woke up one day and decided to do that but i would bet you dollars to donuts that again this is a kid who's been through the juvenile justice system and then you have the story that really caught my attention. I, I think it's been around for last day or so on a couple of TV stations. I saw it on Channel 6. Teenagers, ages 13, 13, and 15, are in custody after a woman is pepper sprayed and punched. Three people were attacked in three separate incidents on Milwaukee's east side. And police say two of the three suspects are 13 years old. Let me let that linger for a minute. 13 years old. Milwaukee police have arrested a 13-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl, and a 15-year-old boy in connection with the three attacks. One of the victims said she's not going to arrest until they're held accountable. Bruised and in pain, it's, it's the name of the victim, recounted the terrifying moments, she says, after she confronted three teenagers about stealing a bicycle. Um, My eyes were just on fire. I looked down the alley, and there they were, running out of somebody's yard, heading north up the alley, now on a bicycle, and I thought, not on my watch. This apparently happened um, on Wednesday. The Eastside resident said she was driving down Newberry near Kramer and Oakland Wednesday afternoon, June 5th, July 5th, when she pulled up next to the kids in her SUV behind one of her rental properties. She said, I told them that's not your bike. Go put it back. Two of the kids ran off ditching the bike. But the third started grabbing at her driver's side door. With her window rolled down, the boy took out a can of pepper spray and sprayed the woman in the face. I turned and looked at him. He's spraying me, and then he hauled off and punched me in the face. Fifteen minutes later, police say the suspect punched and pepper sprayed two other victims, the first on East Linwood, the other on East Kenwood. So you have these three punks who are 
traveling around the east side of Milwaukee. This is kind of the UWM area. They're looking to steal stuff. When they get confronted, they are apparently physically attacking and pepper spraying people. Um, the woman who was pepper sprayed says this has to come to an end. Now afraid to leave her own home, she's fed up with youth committing violent crimes in her neighborhood. It's been an ongoing debate. For the past several years, with many high-profile cases involving underage suspects, here's what the lady who was the victim says. Nothing's being done. Nothing. It hasn't gotten any better. This is 2.30 in the afternoon, and these are children. It's just, you're just not safe. It's just crazy. You're not going to run me out of my own city. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What this lady is saying, a woman who's pepper sprayed 2.30 in the afternoon when she confronts people who are stealing bicycles, uh, pepper sprayed and and punched, whether we're talking about the two 13-year-olds and the 15-year-old, or whether we're talking about the 15-year-old that apparently went on a burglary, robbery, and car theft spree, eluded the cops for weeks, and was bragging about it on Facebook. This lady is absolutely right. It is out of control in the city of Milwaukee. People are flat out not safe, and nothing is being done. It is not getting better. Here's where I think it starts. When you catch these kids, it is time to start stop treating them like poor, misunderstood children. They are criminals. And they need to be punished. And that is not here. We're going to put a bracelet on you or we're going to turn around and we're going to send you back into the same environment where mom and dad don't give a you know what about what you are doing in the street. What we need to do is we need to start locking up these kids as a way of deterring the behavior. I'm all in favor of trying to do some form of rehabilitation. I really am. But at this point in time, when you have kids that are out there burglarizing homes, bragging about car thefts, the first thing that we need to do is start protecting the tax-paying, law-abiding citizens of this community, period. And if the judges won't do it, maybe you need mandatory laws to start requiring that. Or maybe you need different judges who recognize that they should be protecting the community first. 414-799-1620. That's my take. What do you think? We discuss next. It's big thing number one. It's 846. This is Jeff Wagner. Make my world go black. Hit me like a heart attack. Knock me flat on my back. Just keep doing that, that thing you're doing there. Rush me with you here, I swear. 849, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. These stories are beyond outrage. I mean, you have two 13-year-olds and a 15-year-old who are apparently on a spree stealing bicycles on the east side. Woman confronts them. They pepper spray her, punch her in the face. Um, and this is just one of an ongoing series. The community is being terrorized by out-of-control juveniles. And she's absolutely right when she says nobody is doing anything about it. Let's talk to Mike in Brookfield. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I, I think it's a little ironic um, because I'm making a little assumption here because she lives on the east side of uh, uh, Milwaukee that she's probably a little liberal-leaning, and I guarantee you she's probably the same person that would probably be defending not throwing the, you know, these kids in jail and throwing away the key. And, and, talk, and she's probably the same type of person that would say, well, we need to, to give these kids a chance. But now that she's a victim and she's actually been uh, you know, a, a victim of, of 
the crime of, of these young teenagers. Now she's screaming for well, justice and, and for them to do something. Well, like, but see, in fairness... Yeah, they should have been doing this a long time well, ago. Well, they, they should, Mike. In fairness, I, I don't know about... I, I, I don't know anything about her. Um, I, I do know you're, there is there is an attitude in the community that... Well, what, what's what's the old kind of the, the old cliche? That, that a liberal is just a conservative... Uh, a, a liberal is simply a conservative that hasn't yet been robbed. You know, okay? and, and there's no question. But I, I don't know anything about this lady other than the fact that she is legitimately outraged and has been seeing this. But I mean, see, this is this is part of the problem. You know, where is the community outrage? I mean, the lady correctly says she's afraid to go outside of her house. This stuff is happening at two thirty in the afternoon. And and by the way, we're, we're talking about the hip and trendy east side. We're talking about areas around UWM. We're talking about areas where the houses are nice. We are talking about areas where the people pay a ton in taxes and folks are being held prisoner by out of control juveniles i mean what needs to start happening is that they need to start being locked up now i'm not saying you necessarily put everybody in prison for three four five years but not putting them in jail is just not working and this idea that, okay, well, we're going to come up with the least restrictive alternatives and we're going to keep sending them back out on the street. Well, all that does is it breeds this type of lawlessness that you see going on on a regular basis. And again, at some point in time, when do people say, uh, again, enough is enough? Um, Justin texts, these aren't misguided, delinquent, underprivileged youth. They're antisocial thugs who need to be taken off the streets for an extended period of time. If the laws don't support that, we need tougher legislation. Or we need DAs and judges who protect the public and stop babying these criminals regardless of how young. Part of it is the juvenile code that was written decades ago. When the issue was you'd have kids that would go out and they would throw eggs at houses. Okay, well, that's antisocial behavior, but that's different than punching that's different than punching people in the face and pepper spraying them and stealing cars and leading cops on high-speed chases at the ages of 14 and 15 over and over again and knowing that you can get away with this because even if you get caught, you know, what's going to happen to you is less than a slap on the wrist. George in Brookfield. George, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I fully agree with you. I think that uh, these kids, 14, 15 year old, do things like this. They ought to spend a couple nights in jail and put their mother in the adjoining cell. <laughs> and I think that would put an end to a lot of this stuff. Parents are no longer responsible for their kids. Yeah, well, you do you do wonder what and again. There, there's two types of things. Whenever we talk about this stuff, George, sometimes I'll hear from some parents who say, "Look, we're really good parents. We, we've just got out of control kids." So, and, and and I guess there is a part of that. But the other aspect is you're right. You know, mom and dad are. If there is a mom and a dad, they're they're punched out. A lot of times, the kids are being raised by the grandparents or the aunts or uncles or whatever, and and the parents are just flat out punched out, and, and the kids are are just running the streets. Now, this this assault was two thirty in the afternoon, but how many of the ones we talk about occur at 2.30 in the morning? And I don't know about you, George, but when I was 14 or 15, and I don't mean to take a walk down memory lane, I, when I was 14 or 15, I wasn't out running the streets at 2.30 in the morning. My parents knew where I was, and it sure as heck wasn't out stealing cars. Yep, I, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, a buddy of mine and I threw mud balls at a house down the street. Well, my father, they called my father. We had to pay to get it fixed. And we didn't go to the circus that year. Right, yeah. And, yeah. But uh, I'll never forget it. And that's why our kids today need something at the early age to learn to respect 
the law and respect elders. It's well, just terrible. Well, right, it, it is. And, and, and again, thanks for calling. See, and I guess, my, see, here's the thing. I mean, I, I was looking at some of the pictures of this lady. Okay, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. It's your neighborhood. You see these kids stealing a bike. Now, all right, all right let's, let's also go back not that long. Again, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to this old guy sound like, hey, kids, get off my lawn. But, I mean, okay, what happens? Let's say you're doing something wrong. All right, and I don't care what it is. In this case, they're stealing bikes, but whatever. You're doing something wrong. The adult confronts you. All right, what what typically happens? Well, typically, okay, you stop doing what you're doing. Maybe you drop the you, you drop the roll of toilet paper. You try to run away. Okay, I understand all that. But what's happening here? Well, lady confronts the 15 year old. I think it was the 15 year old that pepper sprayed her, but it could have been the 13 year old. I don't know. Instead of just trying to run away, the kid grabs a can of pepper spray. What's a kid doing a can of pepper spray to begin with? And then goes up and punches her and sprays her in the face. And can you think back when you were 13 years old? So let's say you're out there TPing that house or whatever. The adult catches you doing it. Hey, stop doing that. And then your reaction is to grab essentially a weapon, spray the weapon in the face of the lady, and then punch her. I mean, what type of person, what type of kid does that? And I tell you something, if if you don't get these kids out of society, if you don't, now I'm all in favor of rehabilitation. Believe me, I am. But simply sending them back out on the street with a warning not to do it again or we're going to be monitoring you, that's not rehabilitation. That doesn't change anything, and it's not going to change behavior. Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I hate to say it, but I think this lady might have been lucky. She's fortunate that it was only pepper spray. Instead of a gun. gun. Yeah. You know, we need it, it's time where Milwaukee needs to get tough on crime. Um the, the family value and the family structure is gone in a lot of the inner city in Milwaukee. We can't be their friends. We can't be there to support them. Law enforcement is there to protect and to uh, right. to, oh. to practice law, right? To to to, to right. state to, the law, right? Right to defend and to to protect the law-abiding citizens from the criminal element. And unfortunately, that criminal element is now there's a lot of 13 and 14 and 15 year olds who are now part of that criminal element. And there's not going to be anybody at the home to to give them the right message. So it's time for tough love. You know, it, it is. No, th- th- it is. And, I mean, the, the thing that really struck me about this, and, and I could spend 30 minutes on the radio every day doing a story like this. This is not an atypical thing. And the way I used to introduce some of these stories is I'd tell the stories and then I'd save the ages of the perpetrators for the end of the story in an effort to try to get attention. Well, nowadays you can't even do that because now when you start hearing these stories about juvenile crime, okay, the car is being stolen, the, the theft rings, the burglaries, the assaults. Now it's not a surprise when you hear that they're 13 and 14 and 15. I mean, there is... I, I seriously wonder whether we are losing a generation of kids in certain areas of this country. Because if you're out there at the age of 13 stealing stuff and robbing homes and pepper spraying and assaulting adults, th- there's a problem. There's a problem. And there's not much that indicates to me that unless there are severe penalties, you're going to get the message that it's not acceptable to do this at 15 or 20 or 25. It is 857. Big story number two is coming up. Mark the tape. Tom Barrett, I think, gets it right. Stick around.
Mike Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One final email here on, on what we were talking about, the out-of-control juvenile crime in the area. Um, this is from Lynn. Monday morning, July 3rd, I was leaving my house to go to work. It was 5.40 a.m., and I saw a boy throwing a rock into a neighboring business's front door. I called my local police department, and they caught the kid. I went and talked to the officer. Turns out the kid is 10 years old, and they suspected that he had robbed another business a few blocks away. 10 years old, alone at 5.40 in the morning, robbing businesses. Where are his parents? Why isn't he home sleeping? That Those are... See, those are all very good questions. Where were the parents? Why isn't the kid home? And and what is it that possesses a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old, to go out and throw rocks in businesses trying to break them? All right. I was at Summerfest yesterday, and it was with a number of people, including my 10-year-old nephew, Alex. Now, I I, I just, I know, number one, that Alex isn't going to be out of the house at 10 o'clock in the morning. I know that, at 5.30 in the morning. I know that. Number two, I know that if he were outside the house at 5.30 in the morning, he wouldn't be throwing rocks and breaking into businesses. There's something really, really wrong with this going on, and I I don't want to be that guy that says, what's wrong with young people today? Because the truth is, there's not a lot wrong with most young people, but you have a certain segment of the community, and I seriously wonder whether in certain parts of certain communities across this country, we are losing a generation of kids to criminal behavior. Just saying. Okay, big story number two. I think Tom Barrett gets it right. Um... There is a huge debate, as we've talked about many times in this in this country, over immigration laws. There are groups, including some local illegal alien defense groups, and that's what I kind of label them as, who really don't believe we should have immigration laws. At the heart of what they talk about, they, they don't. Th- they think we should have open borders. They don't think we should be stopping people from coming into this country, and they don't think we should be deporting people who come into this country illegally. It should be just, well, okay, we should just be one happy, big world family. Well, I mean, I don't think there is any civilized country in the world that really has open borders. Uh, that would be just a complete and total disaster. Now, the Trump administration has been cracking down on what are known as sanctuary cities. The definition of sanctuary cities is pretty vague, but because a number of communities are very, very politically correct, they declare that they are sanctuary cities because the politicians in them want to appease the essentially the illegal alien defense groups we 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 want the we want to be welcoming to immigrants well everybody wants to be welcoming to immigrants there's a difference though between illegal people who are illegally in this country committing crimes and people who have come into the country legally through all the appropriate channels there is a huge difference but a number of people at least some of these groups don't make a differentiation well anyhow the, the, the federal government through Trump is cracking down on these sanctuary cities. And the Justice Department is sending out letters saying, look, you know, unless you follow, federal law has certain requirements. And it dictates certain things that you, obligations that you have. And unless you uh, cooperate with us in various fashions, all right, if you decide to do that, you're going to ignore federal law, just so you know, there's going to be consequences, and one of those consequences is you might lose federal grants. It's the way, and I've talked about this before, it is the way, for example, 
and the federal government was able to force all the states into having a 21-year-old drinking age. That each drink, each state sets the own, its own age for drinking. But the federal government says, if you want federal highway funds, you have to have a 21-year-old drinking age. The idea being, you know, 18 and 19-year-olds that drink pose dangers on the highway. You know, that, that's at least the thinking behind it. So if, if you want federal, you, don't, you, can, you can make it 18, but then we're pulling all the federal highway funds. So they use that, that power of the purse. Well, what the Trump administration is saying to various cities who declare themselves as sanctuary cities, fine, if you want to do this and you don't want to follow your legal obligations to cooperate with immigration when it is required, that's okay. You do that, but you're going to lose federal law enforcement grants. Now, apparently what happened, the city attorney in Milwaukee, and by the way, the city attorney's office in Milwaukee is, in my opinion, unlike the DA's office, the city attorney's office is extremely well run. And apparently they, in Milwaukee County, in Milwaukee County, the county board for example, comes out with some stupid harebrained resolution talking about how we're going to be a sanctuary and all. But but that's just their resolution. The, the way Milwaukee County actually operates, thanks in large part to Sheriff David Clark, is in compliance with federal law. So you've got some of the Clown Car Act on the county board that make all these declarations. But, you know, when the middle meets the meat, they're following the law. Apparently what happens is the city attorney goes to the mayor and goes to the Fire and Police Commission and says, hey, look, we've been reviewing our policies, and our our, our policies, um, even though we don't talk about being a sanctuary city, our policies could be interpreted to be in, you know, outside of, of federal law. And so what the city decides to do is to say, okay, we're, we're, we're going to bring them in compliance with federal law. And, and the mayor's point is, this is really, we're really not doing anything differently, but we're just kind of making it very clear that, all right, we're, we're going to follow what our obligations are. And, and here's where the controversy. So that they make a couple changes. First of all, um, officers are instructed that they shall inform. So it's mandatory. They shall inform federal immigration officials of the whereabouts or behaviors of any suspected illegal immigrant when that person is arrested for a felony or another serious crime, like those involving terrorism or street gangs. Let me say that again. The, the, the Milwaukee police, their policy is, if, if they catch someone who is arrested for a felony or another serious crime and they believe that the person is an illegal immigrant, they're going to contact uh, federal immigration. Hey, we've got this guy that we just arrested for three murders. We think he's in this country illegally. Okay, what rational person could object to this? And, and that's what it says. It says, shall inform. We catch somebody who's been accused of a felony or who we think is involved in serious criminal behavior, we're, and we think they're in here illegally. We're going to notify immigration. That, that's now controversial. Um, the second requirement um, eliminates a directive that officers were not to question any person about his or her immigration status. So now officers, if they think it is appropriate, they are able to you know, question somebody about whether or not they're in this country legally. Well, okay, what, why, why is that controversial? I mean, seriously, if there is reason to suspect, let's say you make an arrest of someone and you have occasion for arrest for any reason, and you think, hey, this person is here illegally, 
what's the problem with, again, trying to determine whether or not that is the case? Or do we expect the police officers just to knowingly and intentionally ignore the law? Now, the mayor says, well, look, we're, we're not... We're not in the immigration business. We're not about going about enforcing federal immigration laws. And, and nothing's changed about that. And the mayor is, is right. They're not, infor- about, they're not about enforcing it. But at the same time, this idea that the Milwaukee police should not be, should not be cooperating with immigration officials when they come across people who are illegally in this country or who they believe are illegally in this country, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And Barrett's getting all this blowback. Immigrant protesters accuse him of betraying them. Oh, my gosh, this is so very terrible. The uh, local immigration groups call city immigration policy changes a betrayal. Again, these these pro-immigration illegal alien groups don't think as a general rule, that the police should be cooperating with authorities at all. So you get people that come into this country and they commit crimes. What's the big deal? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the city's policy is now that you arrest somebody and charge them with a serious felony, and you have reason to believe they're in this country illegally, that you're going to notify immigration authorities, my, my question is, have you not been doing that all along? What rational person could think that that's not the way to go? I think this new policy makes eminent sense if to the extent it is a new policy. Um, Tom Barrett needs to stick to his guns and he needs to tell these illegal alien defense groups, hey, look, I've got an obligation to work with other types of law enforcement to enforce laws and also to protect the community. I think Barrett gets this one right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 920. It's 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Walk the Moon. They're performing at the Miller Light Oasis this evening as we go into the final weekend of Summerfest. Ron in Green Bay. Ron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I would just like to know if uh, you were stopped on the street uh, and asked to prove that you were uh, a citizen, how would you do that? Well, first of all, I, I, nobody is saying that they ask them to provide papers. Do you have papers? What they do is they ask questions like, where were you born? What's your date of birth? What's your Social Security number? And then if somebody doesn't know or can't give those that information, then they do a follow-up to it. Nobody's saying that you have to walk around with your birth certificate, but you, you ask a couple questions and then kind of go from there. And, of course, you would not ask any uh, 40, 50, 60-year-old white people this question. You would only ask uh, Mexicans this question. Is this true? Well, it depends. I, it depends on it depends on whether or not there's evidence to suggest that somebody might be in this country illegally. So you just think that they should just ignore it. Okay, and, and I... And I'm, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, that was a question. You, you think that, that, that law enforcement should not do any follow-up if they have reason to believe somebody might be in this country illegally? Question no, mark. no, I think there should be follow-up. I was under the impression that they would take you right off the street to jail. No, 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 of course, no, absolutely not. No, no, that's not, no, that, that's, nobody, nobody is saying that. No, I mean, but, but, okay, let, let, let me give you a scenario. Well, well first of all, 
let, let's talk about the, the easy situation. The easy situation is somebody is arrested for rape. Somebody is arrested for murder. The idea that, and, and law enforcement, that they start running the background of the person. There's no social security card. The last known address doesn't check out. No, no social security number, whatever. No green card, whatever. And, all right, they're arrested for murder. The idea that you wouldn't contact immigration and say, hey, we've just arrested somebody for, we believe, committing a murder. This is the name we're not sure exactly that who this person is. This is the name they've gave given. It's kind of sketchy. They don't have a social security number to give us or the number comes out back and it's bogus. Yeah, the idea that you shouldn't under that circumstance notify immigration and say, hey, maybe you want to check this out, I think is just absolutely ludicrous. Now, let's talk about the other example that might be a more difficult one. Um, currently, the directive was apparently that except in extremely limited circumstances, police were not to question a person about their immigration status. Okay, this would, this removes that directive and apparently gives the police latitude to conduct an investigation. So let's take a situation where, I don't know, you have, you have a hit and run, for example, and it just, it is just not checking out. There's been a hit and run, you, you catch a person who you think might be, they haven't been charged yet, but that you catch the person, you're, you're starting to investigate it, you ask them their name, the name doesn't check up with the, license, the driver's license, again, there's no, the identifying information doesn't match records that you have, and you, you're starting to think, okay, you know, maybe we've got somebody who's in this country illegally, whether they're in the country illegally from South America or Mexico or Canada or Croatia, who cares? But it's not matching up. The idea that you shouldn't be able to do a follow-up and say, wait a second, this stuff isn't checking out. Are, are you, you know, are, are, are you in this country legally or not? The idea that you shouldn't do a follow-up to me, is just absolutely uh, absurd. Let's stick our head in the sand. Nobody is saying you haul people off the street, um, you throw them in the huskow, and you hold them for three days waiting for immigration to come and do an investigation. But the, the policy apparently used to be don't even do any sort of investigation at all. When, and look, here, here's the reality. There's going to be all situa- sorts of situations where the police come upon people and they know or they have a pretty reasonable belief of knowing that they've come across somebody who's in the country illegally. All right. The idea that you have to pretend that they're not and that you're not allowed to do any sort of follow up at all. Ask any sort of follow up questions. I, I just think, again, that's that's crazy. But that's just me. All right. Coming up next. Big thing. Number three. We move closer to a resolving the budget stalemate. Maybe. But only apparently if the Assembly Republicans revolt on their leadership. And then the controversy involving this cemetery in Muskego is heating up again. I'll tell you some latest developments. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. If that Chevy could talk, the story she'd tell about broken hearts and love. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. This is Phil Vassar. He's performing tonight at the Briggs & Stratton Big Backyard as Summerfest winds down. I hate to say that, Summerfest winding down, but um, it's uh, it 
It's true. It's true. A couple more days. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a good weather weekend, so get out and enjoy it. It's the one-year anniversary of the day five Dallas police officers were shot and killed. What lessons have been learned in the year since? John McCure takes a look at 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John is live from Summerfest as well. Okay, big story number three. It is an embarrassment to Republicans, but the state budget stalemate continues. There should have been a state budget by the end of last week. A lot of times when now it's not the biggest crisis in the world in Wisconsin, because what happens is if you don't have a budget, the the state continues to operate just under the previous budget. So it's not like some states where, you know, theoretically the state has to to shut down. So you don't have this urgency. The problem is normally when you have budget stalemates, it's because you have one you have you have shared control of the legislature. In other words, you have a Republican assembly, you have a Senate uh, con- that's controlled by Democrats and they can't agree. Or you have an assembly and a Senate that are controlled by Democrats and you got a Republican governor or vice versa and, and you can't get agreement. That's not true in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, you've got a Republican governor, arguably one of the stronger Republican governors in the country. You've got Significant working majorities in both the state Senate, state Senate, there's 20 Republicans, there's 13 Democrats. State Assembly, my gosh, it's 60-plus Republicans. Overwhelming Republican control. This should be a no-brainer. There should have been a budget weeks ago, and yet there isn't. The problem is that many Many of the scent of the leadership in the assembly, and I'm not sure this reflects the rank and file, but many in Republican leadership in the state assembly have forgotten why they got elected. They have forgotten that Republicans don't get elected to go to Madison to raise taxes. The governor understands this. The state Senate understands this. But leadership in the assembly doesn't. So, look, we have to continue to – there is a crisis when it comes to road building in the state. You've got projects that are underway that need to be continued. There's others that need to be started. So the governor and the state senate says, look, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to – we've developed this plan. We're, we're going to do some borrowing in order to try to pay for this. We found all sorts of money in the state budget that we can put in – we can shift over to roads – and then we're going to do borrowing to kind of supplement the rest, and, and that's, that's how we're going to handle it. The state assembly, because a couple members of the assembly want to be governor and they think the way they're going to get to be governor is raising taxes, um, they, they've decided, no, no, we, we want to raise taxes. So they've come up with one Rube Goldberg scheme after another. Uh, let's impose a tax on heavy trucks, which will then be passed on to consumers. Let's impose a sales tax on gasoline, which would significantly jack up the net price of at the pump for, for people. Let's come up with this tax idea. Let's come up with that tax idea. And, and the governor has pretty consistently said, I, I'm not going to support any sort of tax increase. That is not why Republicans are sent to Madison. Um, and, and the governor, at the end of the day, is the big dog. He's the one that's, that's got the, the veto power. The state Senate, they're with the governor, and they're pretty much saying, look, we're, we're not going to raise taxes. We think we have a plan for responsible borrowing. And yet you have leadership in the assembly. And I, I think part of this, if I were to be honest, is part of it is that members, there are certain members who have bigger political aspirations. They are trying to curry favor with some of 
some of the powerful special interests like the road builders who want to see all sorts of expansion and so they've decided all right we want to be curry we want to be currying favor with the road builders and so what we want to do is we want to raise money to do what the road builders want us to do and so you know we we can't borrow enough money to make everybody happy so what we're going to do is we're going to raise taxes well, to me, that is just an absolute political recipe for disaster. So yesterday, the governor comes out with a, 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 a deal. He says, I tell you what, I, what we can do. You, you think I'm proposing borrowing too much? No, I don't agree with you. I think I've got a reasonable proposal for borrowing. And as I've always argued, borrowing in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, can I see a show of hands? How, how many people bought their house you know, just out of cash. Some people do, but most people take out mortgages. How many people, you know, buy a car without taking out a car loan? Well, can I see a show of hands? I mean, that's it's it's so borrowing in and of itself isn't bad. That's how we get stuff. Borrowing irrationally, borrowing too much, borrowing irresponsibly, borrowing beyond your means, that that's a different story. But I don't know that anybody really thinks that the governor's budget proposal is, is that. And so he came out yesterday saying, okay, here, here's the deal. Tell you what, what, what we're going to do is I, I, will, I will scale down the amount of, of borrowing. Um, I, I wanted to borrow $500 million. I'll only borrow $300 million. We'll, we'll scale it down substantially, and I think we're still going to be able to get stuff done. And that apparently is a non-starter with the tax and spend crowd that is the leadership in the state assembly. So here's the bottom line. This is, and this is an embarrassment for people who voted for Republicans, and it's embarrassment for people who campaigned for the Republicans in the state assembly. What's got to happen is I'm convinced there has got to be a revolt among the rank-and-file assembly Republicans, and, and you you guys know and you gals know who you are, to stop allowing your leadership to make you look foolish and make the assembly look foolish and play into the hands of the tax and spend, spend crowd in Madison. And you need to say, look, okay, this is, this is the governor's budget. The state senate is on board, and we're going to stop being obstructionists. And if over the course of the next two years, leading into the 2018 election, you want to say, hey, moving forward, this is what I think we need to do. We need to consider toll roads, which is, I think, probably a non-starter, but we need to consider toll roads. Or we need to come up with an idea of adding a sales tax on top of the gas tax. If that's what you want to come up with, present it to the public and run on that. Now, my guess is there's not too many Republicans who want to run on that because it seems to me it's a loser. But if you want to do that, fine, do it. And then, you know, the next budget cycle, you can address those type of issues. But failing that, just get the budget done. And that means taking a step back and cooperating, in this case, with the state Senate and the governor to get this whole thing done. Because the truth of the matter is you look foolish and for a lot of us who supported Republicans in the Assembly, including the Republican leadership, um, you're, you're making everybody look really, really bad. So I, I'm hoping rank and file finally goes to their leadership and says enough is enough. Either get on board with what's going on or maybe we need to replace leadership. And if some of you think that you know, you're going to be positioned to be the next governor of the state of Wisconsin and you think a tax and spend agenda is going to get you there, well, all right. See how well you get there if you're not in leadership. It's 943. Coming up next, an update on a controversy in Muskego and a question about whether justice is being done. Stick around. It's 943. If I just breathe, breathe. 
845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Michelle Branch performing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage at Summerfest uh, this evening. Okay, you will perhaps remember the controversy involving Luther Parker Cemetery in Muskego. This is a, a small, it's, it's less than a half acre. It's a small cemetery. It has, I think, about 60-some graves, including graves that go back to the Civil War. State law says communities are responsible for maintaining these grave sites. The city of Muskego has taken the position that this, this, these grave sites aren't so much a cemetery as they are a wild plant sanctuary. I put that in quotation marks. That means weed patch. If, you, if you've driven past this, and it's kind of on Ryan Road in Muskego, if you've driven past it, it, it is a flat-out eyesore. And it's been creating controversy for for a while. Um, the, the city just has decided, well, this is we've got natural grasses that, that are planted there. And, and so we're, we're just going to let this go. We want it to be in its natural state. Well, the problem is you, you can't get to the grave sites. It's just it, it's awful. It, it looks awful. And there's a number of groups that have been trying to force the city to do the right thing, um, starting with the son of Union veterans of the Civil War, who've been who've been leading the charge to get the city of Muskego to, in my opinion, live up to what its obligation is, which is they're supposed to maintain this. The city just says, well, we've turned this into a wild plant sanctuary, which, again, that just means weed patch. And if you've driven by this, if your neighbor allowed his or her lawn to look like that cemetery looks, you would be absolutely outraged. And, of course, this is a cemetery where you have people who've been buried there going back to the Civil War. Okay, I have in my hands a press release that just it, it just came out. came out about uh, 7.50 this morning, uh, addressed to me. Um, appreciate your past coverage of the campaign to get the city of Muskego. This is from the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War. We appreciate your past coverage of the campaign to get the city of Muskego to clean up Luther Park Cemetery, where two Civil War soldiers who died from our country are buried. The city of Muskego is fining a Franklin man $500 for mowing most of the cemetery on June 20th. You're the first news organization to get this. This is their statement, and it comes from, again, the the, the leader of the, this group out of Wind Lake. Um, let's see. Camp 15, that's what they call themselves. Camp 15's attorney, Franklin Gimbel, received a letter from Muskego's attorney stating that on the night of June 20th, Someone entered the cemetery and mowed approximately three-fourths of the vegetation there. Muskego's attorney stated in a letter that the mower had been identified and cited for violating municipal statutes. What exact violations the city of Muskego alleges, we do not know, nor do we know the mower. Luther Park Cemetery is an eyesore, and we can certainly sympathize, this is the statement the group's coming out, with others who feel the same. Um, Camp 15 is con- pursuing legal remedies through the courts to get Muskego to clean up its cemetery. A Muskego Police Department report on the incident says that a police officer found 64-year-old man, and it's got his name and it's got the address, in Luther Park Cemetery around 6.30 p.m. on June 20th, mowing the tall vegetation in the cemetery. The man told the officer that he had heard on the news about the dispute over tall grass and weeds growing in the cemetery and decided to cut the vegetation to help out, the police report says. 
Um, again, the Sons of Union Veterans has campaigned for more than a year to get the city of Muskego to mow the tall grass and weeds that cover the graves at the cemetery, including the graves of two Civil War soldiers who died fighting for their country. The guy who apparently sees this report is as appalled as most people are that the city of Muskego isn't doing what it's supposed to do and has allowed this cemetery to turn into a weed patch and an eyesore. He goes in and starts cutting the stuff. Um, he's now been cited for violating a Muskego park and recreation regulation on the cutting of trees and plants and faces a $500 fine. He's scheduled to appear in Muskego Municipal Court on August 9th. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So here's the situation. You have this cemetery that has been allowed to deteriorate. It is an eyesore. It is a weed patch. And in my opinion, the city of Muskego refuses to do what it is supposed to do under the law, which is maintain it. So here you have a guy who sees these reports, hears about this, and says, I'm just going to take care of it. So he goes in and he starts cutting the weeds. And for that, he is given a $500 municipal fine. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand. I understand that what this guy did was probably a violation of, of the ordinances. All right? Probably a violation of the ordinances. Like I say, Muskego is trying to defend its indefensible behavior and not taking care of the cemetery. And so, technically, the guy was in the wrong by going and saying, look, I, I've seen this report. This is appalling. I'm just going to go cut this stuff down. I, I'm going to make it presentable. So technically, he, he's wrong to have gone in there. At the same time, now you're the municipal judge. You understand what Muskego's done. You understand what this guy's motivation was. He's looking at a $500 fine. You know, this is one where I perhaps pat the man on the back and say, sir, you, you shouldn't have done this because it was in violation of the ordinance. And I understand under different circumstances this might be a bigger deal. But you know what? You, you know what? <laughs> this is the you, what you have done is the right thing to do. And I, I can't excuse you if you violated the ordinance. But I can say, no fine. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or if I'm the city attorney, I can maybe say, you know what? Under these circumstances... I'm putting this citation in my pocket, and, and we're just going to move on. Does this man need to be punished for trying to clean up the cemetery and do what I think the city of Muskego should be doing all along? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Marty in West Dallas. Marty, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Sir. Um, I'd like to quote one of my favorite Democratic presidents and say, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right. or in this case, maybe it's the county or the city. You know, uh, I think volunteerism should be encouraged. I'm not a rich guy, you know, uh, but if he's facing a $500 fine, I'm in for the first $100 of it, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I don't think somebody's going to take, take he's going to take the time out of his day, and probably his lawnmower, his gas, to go do what, the right thing, you know, I don't think he should have to face a fine over that. Yeah, no, right. See, I, I agree. I mean, th- thanks. For, I mean, I, I understand. Look, and I'm not criticizing the police, okay, because you've got these ordinances on the books, and it it's Muskego has designated this 
as as an eyesore. You know, it, it, it's interesting. We're, this is a wild plant preserve. No, it's not. It's a weed patch. That's just what the reality is. It is a weed patch, and Muskego should have been doing the right thing all along. So, I mean, I appreciate. I'm not faulting the police. They come upon a guy. He's mowing it. He, he's not. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not technically authorized to do it. But you know, I, I'm with you. I think first of all, if I'm the city attorney. This is an ordinance. I, this this is a citation that I just tear up. I mean, what are you supposed to do? If I am the municipal court judge and the city attorney decides they want to push this, I just say, no fine. Sir, we, we'd ask you not to do this again. But at the same time, we understand your motivation. It's not like he's in there destroying native flora and fauna. 414-799-1620. Um, Chris in Manitowoc. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, I just want to say that it's definitely a disservice uh, to the community and the veterans that are, are buried there who fought for our country. And beyond that, I, I really think that, um, you know, if if other people in the community didn't mow their lawn, they would be fine. But the city turns it into a weed patch, and then it, it's okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I remember, and I haven't been down there in a while, but when this controversy first broke a year ago, I made the point of driving by it. And, and I'm telling you, you would never understand that this is a graveyard. It was, it just looks like, uh, again, it looks like a, a vacant piece of property that somebody has just let get completely and totally out of control. And if it was your neighbor, I sincerely, you would be outraged by this. But, but this, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we have to remember there's people buried there, yep. and... They're, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and I agree with the caller earlier. Uh, the guy did the right thing, and I, I would even ship in if this if this guy is truly going to get a fine. But I really think that if the city pursues this, it's going to be a black eye for them. It's not going to look good in the long run for I, them. I, and thanks for, see, I, I agree completely, which is one of the reasons we're talking about this this morning, because it's not too late. I mean, this is one. The guy gets a citation. You have to appear in court. If I'm the city attorney in Muskego, First thing I say is, never mind, you know, sir, you know, technically you were in violation, but you know what, I understand what your motivation was, I'm not going to proceed. If the taxpayers want to have their city attorney go ahead and pursue this, well, maybe the municipal judge, who's, I believe, elected by those taxpayers, then that judge, I don't know who it's going to be in front of, that judge can simply say, nah, no fine here. I mean, at some point in time, again, I'm not encouraging self-help or vigilantism, but what the guy did was he saw the story, he realized how horrible this was, and he decided that he was going to um, you know, take care of the problem. Barb in Muskego. Barb, your neck of the woods. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What should happen to this guy? Well, I, I'm a resident of Muskego, and the hypocrisy is just unbelievable because when you drive up and down Janesville, their main road, they have the American flags waving proudly. But it, the dirty little secret is in their back corner lot by Franklin that they don't take care of their veterans. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, if you don't pay taxes and you don't vote, you don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess. I mean, okay. So you, Barb, you live in Muskego, all right? That this guy has decided he he technically violated the ordinance by trying to clean up the cemetery. All right, you're a taxpayer there. Do you want to see them throw the book at him? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to figure out what kind of citation they could even issue. Well, there's probably some, my guess is that there's some ordinance which prevents you from going on public property and, and cutting down trees or something, which which makes makes sense. I mean, I don't want somebody going next to City Hall if there's a tree and chopping it down. But this guy took a lawnmower to get rid of a bunch of weeds in a graveyard that the city was supposed to be maintaining. 
Oh, I totally agree. And kudos to the guy. Um, I'm, I'm glad he did it. Yeah. No, they, they, and, and I would I would help fund uh, his citation yeah. also. Thanks for call. Well, hopefully it won't come to that because hopefully the city attorney will show the sense that God gave a goose and drop the citation. And if the city attorney decides that he or she wants to pursue it, hopefully the the judge down there, the municipal judge, will recognize that this is one where there's no harm, no foul. Um, this is I don't know if anybody else has told the story, but uh, we will continue to watch this. The hearing for the man, I have his name. I haven't I haven't said it, but I I, I have the name. Um, the hearing is scheduled for August. Ninth, he's required to appear in Muskego Municipal Court for doing what the city of Muskego should have been doing all along. It's nine fifty-eight. This is Jeff Wagner. It's ten oh nine. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Um, I'm taking off on Monday. I'm going to play a golf outing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm playing in a golf outing out in West Bend, so looking forward to that very much. But that means I've only got two hours to do all sorts of stuff, so we are going to go through a number of topics. We've also got the weekend review coming up at the uh, during the 11.30 segment. All right. Um, I will tell you this. If I had money to invest, there is no way in the world that I would be a landlord in Milwaukee County. Now, I'm not sure I would be a landlord in general because there's all these hassles. But here, here's the truth of the matter. You know, I, I understand that there are there are bad landlords out there. I, I, I get it, and that there are people who you know, current who take advantage of poor people, and you know they charge exorbitant rents for slum housing. I, I understand that that's going on, but the reality is. I think the vast majority of people who are landlords are, are people who are making the decision, gee, I have a little bit of money to invest, and I could go out and I could buy stocks or I could buy bonds, but you know what? I, I'm going to put it in the community, and I'm going to buy a house or an apartment house or whatever, and I'm going to rent it out, and I'm going to use that money to make my mortgage payments, and I'm going to fix the place up, and then ultimately I hope I'm going to be able to sell that apartment and, and make the apartment building and make a little bit of money. That, that's what I think most of the people are. And they're making a conscious choice with how they invest their money. And yet, if you want to be a landlord, prepare to be demonized. Because you know, you're always gonna you're always gonna be the bad guy. And I know I've talked to enough people who are in fact landlords, and it's one horror story after another. And a lot of the tenants are deadbeats or they understand how to game the system, and they know that, hey, I can just not pay my rent for month after month after month. I can trash the apartment, and then, you know, ultimately I can force the landlord to take me to court, and then, you know, it, it's still going to be months. I can live in the place for free, and then I can ultimately leave, and then I'll find some other body person that rents to me, and I'll do the same thing again. Now, um, the reality is, in Milwaukee County, for example, the, the number of eviction lawsuits ha- has increased. Journal Sentinel had a story either today or yesterday. Um, it was about 12,900 in 2012. Last year, 2016, it was 13,472. So these are landlords who have been forced to go through the process of evicting tenants. 
Now, you never want to do that. That that's not a good scenario. Landlords are landlords aren't in the business of evicting tenants. If you're a landlord, what you want to do is you want to find a good tenant, you want to keep the good tenant, you want to have the good tenant pay the rent and not trash your place, and you hope that they stay forever. I mean that that's the whole goal. Going through the eviction process is costly. It's a pain in the you-know-what, and people don't want to do it. And so, yes, you've got 13,472 that were conducted in 2016. Now, some people would look at that and say, it's the fault of the landlord. Oh, oh, this, this is this is terrible. Um, it, it's terrible. It's the landlord that's, you know, doing this. Um, they estimate that about 85% of eviction lawsuits were not dismissed in court. Many involve families, so right. You got the, the families are being tossed out. One of the members of the county board, who Marina Dmitrievic, who ex- aspired to greater political office, and that didn't work out. You know, she says, "Hey, you know, this is you had you had county residents who were forced out of their residences last year, um, and once you've been evicted, you have a harder time finding housing, and you're more likely to be evicted again." So there's a couple different proposals being floated in front of the Clown Car Act that is the Milwaukee County Board. Now, state law allows rent adjustments for major health and safety concerns. So if you're a landlord, if you're a tenant and you're in you know, one of these types of slums, um, you, can, you can make rent adjustments, but it doesn't specify amounts. Uh, Milwaukee County is considering passing an ordinance which would allow the tenants to make deductions from their rent um, if there are defects. Toilet doesn't work, 500 bucks you could deduct from your rent. And you couldn't, you couldn't be evicted if you make deductions um, with, if you make deductions from your rent. So if you decide, you're the tenant, and you decide, gee, I don't think this toilet is working right, or, um, gee, we didn't get hot water, or whatever, I'm going to just start deducting payment from my rent. And the rule, the ordinance would stop the landlord from being able to evict people. What could possibly go wrong with this? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to completely and totally dry up investment in rental programs in Milwaukee County, pass ordinances that would allow tenants to decide for themselves whether they're going to pay certain amounts of rent and then put the burden again on the landlords to come in and argue about whether these tenants who've decided, hey, you know, I I didn't have enough heat. Um, I'm not paying X amount of dollars, and if you want to get this money, you got to sue me. If you want to pretty much guarantee that there, there's not going to be anybody wanting to invest in rental properties in Milwaukee County, that this is the ordinance to pass. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I'm not going to do This is not an endorsement of the slumlords, the bad landlords that are out there, but I don't believe that that represents the overwhelming majority of the people who, again, are trying to invest money to, number one, offer housing, and number two, to try to make a little bit of money. I, it's tough being a landlord in Milwaukee County. Obviously, the Milwaukee County landlords are viewed by some as being the, the enemies. And anything that makes it more difficult for them to collect rents, 
I think as a general rule, is going to be really, really bad, big picture. 414-799-1620. I mean, and the truth of the matter is, if people are living in properties and they can't pay their, their rents, well, what is the landlord to do? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And for those of you who are, who are landlords who make these investments, um, I mean, are you really the bad guys out there? I mean, my guess is, my guess is you've got all sorts of horror stories about tenants. Let's start with Sue in Oak Creek. Sue, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I had a duplex in the city, and they already make it so hard to evict tenants. And I had a tenant who just refused to pay for months and months and months. And so I finally had to let the duplex go into foreclosure because it was my first investment. And I couldn't afford to go six months without a payment. Right. And he even had the nerve when I was selling my washer and dryer in my basement to come down and tell me I could not sell my own washer and dryer because it was part of the apartment. <laughs> right. I, are you kidding me? Right. Right. Now, now, Sue, you don't seem like some like you don't sound like some big rich fat cat who owns oh, like no. thousands. <laughs> right. I mean, right. This is, it, it's a duplex. That's what you said, right? So you're you know, you're and you're depending on my guess is. You were depending on the rent from that unit to help make your mortgage payments and things like that, right? Right. To yeah. pay the, on the duplex. Yep. Yep. Ab, ab, no. Thank. Exactly. So that that's. I mean, that's what's going on. Um, let's see. Brian and Brookfield. Jeff. I'm a landlord in Milwaukee. I have been for 30 years. The majority of tenants flee before we even get to eviction. So the number of evictions is very deceiving. Um, it's actually there's far more deadbeats than the records show. I mean that's so okay. We're and look, and I'm not endorsing. Again, this isn't an endorsement for the slumlords that are out there. And if you know you have a rental property, you have an obligation to make sure it's got heat. And you have an obligation, clearly, to make sure it's got a working toilet and things like that. I'm not arguing about that. But but this idea that we're going to empower the tenants to decide what they are going to pay, I mean, that's that's like saying, okay, to the landlords, fine, good luck collecting Good luck collecting because the rent's supposed to be, let's say, it's four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a month. Let's say five hundred, and you have the tenant says, "Well, I didn't have heat, and and the toilet wasn't working, and I'm I'm only giving you two hundred bucks, and if you want that five hundred, sue me." Okay, all right, good. Let, let's let's force the landlords into even more litigation and see how many of them finally say, "To heck with it, we're not going to invest in Milwaukee County." I understand the Clown Car Act that is the county board, and this is Marina Dmitrievic, um, saying, "Okay, we're 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 going to do this. We we want to we want to appeal. We want to have tenants' rights." Well, I understand. Again, you want to have tenants being able to have livable conditions, but if you've got those bad landlords out there, that seems to me those are the ones that you you go after. But just allowing tenants to decide how much they are going to pay based on what they perceive the problem with the apartment to be, uh, recipe for disaster. It's 1019. This is Jeff Wagner. I'm somewhere on a beach, sipping something strong. Got a new girl, she got it going on. We drink all day and party all night. I'm way too gone to have you on my mind. She got a body and she's naughty. It's 1022, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Dirk Bentley, of course. He is performing... He's the headliner this evening at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater, a Summerfest winding down. Hate to say that, but it's it's winding down. Uh, go check it out. I was there yesterday afternoon, and um, 
It was hot, but you know, it was just great. So a lot of great bands, and we just had an absolutely tremendous time. Um, I just one of the things that has amazed me is I, I don't think Scott Walker is beatable in the upcoming election. I mean, I think. You know, I understand that there's some people thought that after his failed run for president last year, that might have ended his political career. I, I just I don't think so. I, I mean, I think clearly being out of Wisconsin during the previous budget debate did not help him. Um, but I, I think the bottom line is most people like Scott Walker. And I understand that there's a I understand there's a segment of folks who just cringe. Oh, this is terrible. I remember that big fight about Act 10 when we actually made some public employees have to contribute more to their pensions. Actually, I I have a a friend who's a teacher, thinks Act 10 is the greatest thing in the world because it freed him from this system of of the only way you can get pay raises. It, It wasn't based on merit. It was just based on time in service and, and whether or not you, you had a master's degree. So, and I'm not saying that everybody who's been teaching for 20 or 25 years is Deadwood. I'm not suggesting that at all. But, you know, for for the good young teachers um, who, who've maybe been teaching five, six, seven years, but they're enthusiastic, they're excited, th- to tell them, hey, the only time you're going to get a pay raise is it's only, you're going to, you got to just, you know, it's, you just got to put your time in service. And they would look around, they'd see people that weren't working anywhere near as hard that had been there 10 or 15 years longer. That was a tough pill to swallow. So, I mean, my, my friend who's a teacher, he's like, hey, Act 10 has been great because I am in demand. So that, that I, I just, I have school districts that want to hire me, and they are willing to pay me more money to do it. So, and I understand that's not all public employees that feel that way, but at least I, I have a friend, like I say, seriously, a teacher who thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, Walker continues to be controversial, but uh, the latest poll numbers show that now his approval rating is around 48%. You want to be at 50%, and he probably will be before the next election rolls around. One of the things that tells you how strong a candidate Scott Walker is, though, is the names of the people that are circulating as potential challengers to Scott Walker. You have the mayor of Madison, Paul Soglin, who's, what, in his 70s, the, the aging hippie mayor of, of Madison. Now, if we've learned nothing from the last series of elections, um, Madison, Wisconsin, again, it's its own little world unto itself, but once you get out of, of Madison... The, the kind of like doctrinaire liberalism that you see out there, once you try to extend that statewide, it doesn't really play. Um, you have so you got Soglin talking about the race. You have a series of backbenchers from the, the state, either Senate or the state assembly, who are talking about perhaps running. You have people who have run unsuccessful the Jefferson County District Attorney, Susan Happ, who got drubbed when she ran for Attorney General a couple of years ago. She's talking about running for governor. And then, like I say, a series of backbenchers that, that nobody's heard of from the, the state legislature. And now you have 65-year-old Tony Evers, who is the state superintendent of, of schools. Now, to Evers' credit... He is the one Democrat. I understand it's a nonpartisan thing, but but he's the one Democrat who's been man able to you know win statewide office in a in a in a 
for a job that arguably makes a little bit of difference. But now he says that you know he's got a number of people asking him to consider running for the state's highest office. A lot of people have talked to me about that. Um, it's an open question. People are calling me, and I have lots of conversations, and I'll continue to do that. Here's the trick. Whenever you hear a politician say, people are calling me, I, I'm getting all the, these people calling me, urging me to run. What, what that typically means is it's a conversation with me, myself, and I. You have ambitious politicians who are saying, hey, maybe this this is my chance, and so I'm going to come out, and I'm going to say, I'm in all this demand. There's all these people who want me to run. Um, Tony Evers has no chance at all of beating Scott Walker, none. I'm not sure there's any candidate that does, but the ones that are on the list right now – Walker's in pretty darn good shape. It is 1027. When we come back in just a couple minutes, um, AT&T is doing something in Illinois that I know will be very controversial if they try to do it here. We're going to discuss. It involves your telephone. Stick around. It's 1027. This is Jeff Wagner. Because I was thinking that a little white tank top sitting right there in the middle by me. It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. That is Dirk Bentley performing tonight at the uh, Marcus Marcus Amphitheater. Sorry, got through almost the whole run of Summerfest without making that mistake. It is the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Matter of fact, uh, a dear friend of mine is going, her family are in town, and I know they're going to the show tonight. And interestingly, Going to Dirk Bentley tonight and going to the rap show that is tomorrow. See, I, I have some Jenny, she's an ec- very eclectic, and so she's going to be checking that out. Um, the president's election integrity commission is asking state governments for information on its voters. Many states are pushing back and hesitant to give up this kind of data. Is it an overreach by the federal government? Scafidi and Bill Stat discuss at one thirty-five this afternoon as they broadcast live from Summerfest. Yeah, they had a shortened show yesterday because of the Brewers game. And I don't want to let today pass without commenting on the incredible first half of the season that the Milwaukee Brewers have had. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. Now, I understand that the season is just a little bit more than halfway over. But if you would have told me, if I were sitting in Las Vegas and you would have told me that you could bet on the Brewers being in first place after the 4th of July, or heading into the All-Star break, and the reality is even, and hopefully they're not going to go and lose three games in New York against the Yankees, but they're four and a half games ahead. Even if they were to lose all three games and the Cubs were to win all three games, the Brewers would still be a game and a half ahead. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, hopefully. But it's, it's just been an incredible first half of the season, and I, I know that there's a lot of people who just aren't believing that this is going to happen, but this is a fun baseball team, and I, I mentioned this yesterday, and it was kind of a little bit of a criticism of all of us. Believe it or not, I think this time last year the Brewers were about 11 games under five hundred and going nowhere, and, and now they're eight games over five hundred and actually attendance, and attendance is solid. But they drew more than 30,000 30, more fans at the same number of games last year as this year. That, that's that's nuts. That That's just crazy. And I understand there's some explanations for it. They had a couple more day games this year. And in many cases, you've got games. People buy tickets in some respects. They buy them on, on, the, on the season, the past season. You know, if the team, if you think the team's going to be doing really well based on last season, you, you go out in February or March and, and you buy tickets in advance. Um, if you don't think they're going to be doing that well, maybe you're inclined to stay home. But but the fact is, this is a team that's playing fun baseball, and they're doing really well. 
They've got about 32, I think I did the count yesterday, 30, 31, 32 home games left. They're 30,000 behind what last year's attendance is, and that's just absolutely crazy. So you, you need to go out and support the team. I'm actually made a commitment. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get to at least five or ten games because it's a fun baseball team to watch, and this could be something really, really special. All right. I am a dinosaur. When it comes to certain things, I, I acknowledge this. I've told this story before. I um I still have a landline telephone. I don't you I I don't remember the last time I have used the landline telephone. Um, if you want to communicate with me, I, I have a cell phone, and that, that's I use the cell phone pretty exclusively. We had a landline at the house, in large part because my late wife used to use the fax machine. Who uses fax machines anymore? Um, but but she used to use the fax machine. So, and I understand there's, I always argued, hey, we can, you know, you can scan documents, you can send them, you can do that. It, it, that, was a, that was a losing battle. She wanted to use the fax machine. Well, um, I, I have not discontinued the landline. Uh, you know, in, in 14 months, I've not discontinued the landline. So I, I, I have it. I don't use it. I just flat out don't use it. So it's, I, I'm wasting whatever that fee is, every month. And and I just, it's simply because I've been too lazy or too, I don't know, nostalgic or, or whatever to, to, to get rid of it. But I, I don't use it. I mean, if you want to communicate with me, it's via, like, email um, or it is via, again, my the, the cell phone, which is, is what I use a, a lot. More and more people are simply reaching the same conclusion that I am, that you don't need your landline phones anymore. Um, Illinois. Right now, they're down to 1.2 million landline customers throughout the state. That's amazing when you think about it. A state the size of Illinois, there's only 1.2 million customers who still have landline phones. So what AT&T did is they went in to the legislature and they said, here's what we want to do. We want to, we want to get out of the landline phone business. And we need approval because this goes back, the laws go back to the days where the phone companies were a monopoly and stuff. But um, what they ended up doing is they, they said to the legislature, we, we just we want to get out of the landline phone business. They say that we're losing about 6,000 customers every week. We're down to 1.2 million. We lose five to 6,000 customers every week. And what we want to do is we want to start converting the landline phones, the copper wiring we use. We either want to stop using it, or what we want to do is we want to convert it to other ways of, of delivering information. They're saying people just don't use these landline phones anymore. It's expensive to maintain. Give us permission to do it. And yesterday, the legislature in Illinois overrode a governor's veto and gave them permission to, to do this. Now, that doesn't mean that AT&T is going to get out of the landline phone business today or tomorrow or the next day. But it does mean that they are going to start phasing this out, particularly in areas where I think it's probably even more expensive to try to maintain the, the old wiring. Now, in Wisconsin, my understanding is under the law, AT&T, if they got approval from the federal government, they could start doing the, the same thing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is my prediction that within the next 10 years, the traditional landline phone 
will go the way of phone booths and pay phones and Betamax recorders and VHS recorders and all the other stuff that were just, I'll use the word ubiquitous, that were just so much of a part of our life going up, growing up. I mean, I think in the next 10 years, it's not going to happen today or tomorrow, I think in the next 10 years, um, landline phones are simply just going to be gone. And I understand that there's reasons why people might want to keep them, but I, I think they're going to be gone ten year, within the next 10 years um, just because you're going to reach a certain critical point. Okay, 1.2 million people in Illinois with landline phones. That's not that many when you think about all the people that are there. Five or 6,000 people dropping their landline phones every week. You know, you, you do the math, and pretty soon at that rate, you're down to a very, very small number of people. Okay, do you still have your landline phone? Will you miss your landline phone when it's gone? Do you think I'm all wet when I say landline phones are going to go the way of Try finding a phone booth nowadays. Try finding a, try finding a pay phone nowadays. They don't exist. And um, I think... I think cell phones have killed the landline phone, and I think they're going to be gone in 10 years. Will you miss them? Do you agree? Will they still be here 15, 20 years from now? I don't think so. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1044. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. This is of course Huey Lewis and the News performing at the BMO Harris Pavilion this evening at Summerfest. Um, I guess breaking news: they sent its news. There's been a petition that is being circulated seeking the recall of Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. Uh, Malfe- the ground stated malfeasance in public office. Um, Tom's trolley folly, the downtown trolley, um, official misconduct pursued a political and legislative agenda, which benefits his major campaign donors, dereliction of duty, not he's not fulfilled his obligation to sufficiently protect the residents of the city from crime and uh, not acted to protect the residents from serious health effects of lead poisoning. OK, I, I think some of these criticisms of Barrett are valid. Um, starting with the, the Tom's trolley folly, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on this show on this because this is a uh, that's what you have elections for. That, that this isn't to me misconduct in office. It's just you disagree with Barrett's priorities or his approach. But all these things that are listed, these are these are just issues that came up in the campaign, and the city of Milwaukee decided to vote for Tom Barrett. So there's this recall effort that's being started. My guess is it's not going to go anywhere. Let's start with uh, Lori in Port Washington. Lori, good morning. Let's talk about landline phones. You going to miss yours? Yes, I have a, a, a kind of a problem with the whole thing. I have a home up in Adams Friendship, and our TV comes in on fiber optics. And the only way to have the TV is to have the landline, which costs you $24 a month. Right. And the cable costs 79 and Internet is 27 So I want to know, and I keep complaining to them that this is ridiculous. I have a landline, and the landline I can accept calls, but I cannot make a call huh. on the package I'm in. 
Well, I don't, I mean, again, I, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this. My understanding is for, for example, the, the Kate, when, when I'm talking about the landlines, I'm talking about, you know, the traditional, there's the telephone pole in your backyard, there's the copper wiring. Um, this doesn't affect like the cable companies that bundle the, you know, you've got your cable that comes in, you, it, it all comes in over the same wiring. You've got the cable that comes in, you've got the, um, you know, the phone service that they offer, they've got your internet that all comes in through the same same thing that that's not that that's not going to affect that this is AT&T saying we want to get out of the traditional business of offering that phone only service because there's just not enough people that, that use it and I and I do think I mean more I, I will tell you like I say I, I'm still paying however much money I'm paying a month to have this landline and it's silly because I have not made a call on my personal home phone in over a year. I, I just have it. So why do you have it? Well, I have it because I've just been too lazy to sit down and call AT&T and cancel it. Let's talk to Judy in South Milwaukee. Judy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? My problem is the phone number that I have has been in my family since the early 40s. Right. It has been my phone number all my life. I will be 69 years old shortly. I have, like, an emotional attachment, I guess, to that phone number. Well, my understanding is that you, and matter of fact, I, I know this to be the case. Let's say, do you have a cell phone, Judy? Yes. Okay, my understanding is, let, let's assume for the sake of argument you didn't, but you you want to take a cell phone. My understanding is that you can you can take that the phone number of your landline phone and you can have it assigned to your cell phone. So yes. you, you don't, you know, you won't, you won't, if, if you... Your your number is three five one whatever whatever the number might be. You know you want to keep that. You you will be able to keep the the number. You just won't be able to keep the the phone itself. Yes, I have tried that. Okay. And apparent and there was all kinds of trouble with some sort of port or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I would call people, it would come up as private caller. Okay. They couldn't call me <laughs> at all. Got it. So I've already tried getting my emotional attachment number <laughs> to a cell phone already. Right. right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think. I mean. See. I. I. I see. I. I do understand that that emotional attachment. I have had. I've had the 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 number. Okay. The home phone number at my house for the landline. I've had it for thirty years. And so I mean, I I, I get what you mean. The emotional attachment. But you know what the. Fir- the, the further and further I get from making home phone calls, and every time, every month when I get that AT and T bill, I I just keep thinking, okay, why why am I doing this? And actually, um, yeah, I just I, I'm 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 going to cut the cord. But the reality is, I, I think now this isn't going to happen today or tomorrow. But my guess is, um, AT and T in Illinois and probably in Wisconsin is I'm not going to be surprised to see them start rolling out a situation where they, they just say, hey, we're not going to offer this service anymore. You know, we're, we're going to offer, we've got AT&T service, and you can have the U-verse, and you can have your phone that comes in that way. But again, the traditional, if you want that standalone cell phone, particularly, I think, in urban areas where there is the choice, I wouldn't be surprised to see them relatively soon stop supporting those services. Um, let's talk to Louise in Milwaukee. Louise, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Real well, thank you. Okay, this is a timely conversation for you, huh? Uh, well, 20 minutes ago, I just left uh, Time Warner Spectrum because I couldn't get rid of the landline from AT&T because the bill is, you know, outrageous and they do bundle. 
I um, don't want to go to the cell phone. Many of my friends are, uh, but I just can't. I've got to have uh, a, a landline somehow, mm-hmm. you know, AT&T, not AT&T, but uh, Spectrum. You yeah, know. so you went with the cable deal where they bundle your cable right. and your Internet and all that type of stuff, right. and you're dropping AT&T. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I just have to have something other than the cell phone. You know, I right, just, and and that's going to be there, Louise. I mean, you're going to have that option again. What we're talking about is just that old traditional landline, copper wire phone pole running into your house. Um, <laughs> that's, that, well, you say, I mean, thanks, for, and you know, and I would tell you, um, I, I know Spectrum, Time Warner, and I, maybe there's other companies that do this as well. I, I know for many people, if you get that bundle. They essentially give you the phone service. You know, essentially, I mean, I've had some people say, you know, we we went to it. It was just cheaper to have the phone. So we went ahead and we added the phone. I think that's, again, that's sort of the competitive pressures. I think they're giving people incentive to try to, uh, again, switch and drop your landline phone. Let's talk to Lou in Brown Deer. Lou, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you, I am well, thank you. Although, the more I talk about this, the more I... I just I kick myself for, for why do I pay that X amount of dollars every month to have the landline phone that I admit I don't use anymore. That's right. I paid sixty five dollars a month for a landline, and I've cut it off over a year. So imagine how much money I saved. Yeah. Plus, if we have a storm, the phone goes dead. Huh. Now, oh, with yeah. the cellular, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I, thanks. I mean, I have. Um, matter of fact, that's that's the other aspect of the story. I was hesitant to tell it. I actually, for the la- for a few months now, the landline service hasn't even worked. It's this old copper wiring, and I live in an older house, and um, there, there's something wrong with the connection. And I, I, I haven't. I used to, I had this problem a lot a few years ago, and then they kind of fixed it. Now it's the problem again, and I I just I keep meaning since I'm going to cancel it, I, I don't necessarily need somebody crawling around for three hours trying to figure out how to fix it. But but yeah, I, my my phone service used to go out um, surprisingly a lot because the wiring was old and that type of stuff. Uh, and I, I'm not encouraging. This isn't an anti AT and T. I'm not encouraging if, if people like their landlines. And I'm not encouraging you to drop them. That's not it. But this is I think that the trend, and you saw this in Illinois. Yesterday, where they've now gotten permission to discontinue landline service. They're not going to do it right away because there'd be a customer uprising. But again, you know, maybe we'll be able to check. You heard it here. I I think in 10 years, you might have trouble finding landline service anywhere. It's 1055. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten fifty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. That's Los Los Lonely Boys, and they're going to be performing at the Johnson Controls um, World Soundstage this evening at Summerfest. The division-leading Brewers ride a four-game win streak into the final series before the All-Star break, and they're in New York to take on rookie phenom Aaron Judge. And the New York Yankees, Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle, are live from the Bronx. Our coverage begins at five thirty this evening. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Well, let's see. Our text line just kind of absolutely exploded after that conversation. Um, cancel your landline, Jeff, and apply that savings to enhancing your Internet speed or TV or streaming optional. Yeah. Um, Drew makes a point. Now, this is my understanding, too. Uh, tell your caller you can move your home number to a cell phone, but then you can't move it back. It stays a cell number. You can tell the lady to try a carrier like T-Mobile or Verizon. They can do it. I'm in the industry. Hashtag. Um, landline gone, <laughs> landline gone for years. Yeah, that was my that was my understanding. I think it's pretty clear that 
um, you, you can, you, you can in fact do it. And I've actually been kind of thinking that maybe that was something that I was going to do. Um, you know, I think it's just, I mean, I, I think again, an AT&T is not, not getting out of the business they just want it to, to be you know uverse and that that's uh, but but the traditional landlines I, I think probably probably going to be history sometime soon bill in burlington we still have a landline and a rotary dial phone okay mike spaulding do you even know what a rotary dial phone is i saw one once in a museum you saw one once it, it's, <laughs> it's serious you have never in your life used a rotary dial phone correct? no my grandmother uh <laughs> she used one so when we were kids we would plan it but me owning one never you have never used one. No. Hondo, have you ever used a rotary dial phone? You have... Okay. <laughs> this is, so this, if, if, you, if you want to feel old... Okay, both my producer, Hondo, and Mike Spaulding have never owned a rotary dial phone, and they have vague recollections from their youth about how Grandma had the old rotary dial phone. So um, they, they are... They are not around. Uh, so anyways, Bill in Burlington writes, text, Jeff, we have a landline and a rotary dial phone. The neighborhood kid needed to use the phone, and when he saw the rotary dial phone, he did not know what to do. <laughs> That's well. Um, I, yep, 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 yep. That is out there. Okay, when we come back uh, before the weekend review, um, there's an interesting controversy going on about area fireworks. I want to tell you about that. Um, Disney World goes even more PC than normal. And lots of other stuff as well. Stick around. It is 11 o'clock. It's 11.09. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay. Uh, evening of the 4th of July, I was at a, a friend's house, and they have... They have a they have a big party every Fourth of July. They live in Whitefish Bay. Just in Whitefish Bay, they, they shoot the fireworks off at Clody Park. And Clody Park, my, my friends live close to Clody Park. They have a house on the lake, nice big backyard, and it's a great spot to go to watch the fireworks from. Okay, so they have a they're kind enough to open up their house. They have a party there every year, and we were at, we're at the party. The next the neighbors either next door or two houses down now. You know, as we've talked about before, in the city of Milwaukee, pretty much all fireworks are illegal. I mean, including sparklers. And I, I've, I've talked about you know whether or not that's an overreach or not before. But in general, if it flies, if it blows up, um, it's it, it's it's illegal. So a couple houses down from where I am, um, we're, we're there at this party, and I'm, I'm not talking about sparklers. These folks are shooting off fireworks, and I, I mean, boom, boom, boom. Matter of fact, the fireworks that they are shooting off, um, I don't want to say it rivals the thing, but they, they, these were big-time fireworks, and they kept shooting these things off, boom, 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 up in the air, and it was actually kind of cool. So we're, we're watching, you know, we're kind of watching this, waiting for the regular fireworks as these things are going up and exploding, and I, I all I kept thinking was, man, this is thousands and thousands of dollars that, that these things are, are costing. Well... All of a sudden, I look out, and there is a police officer <laughs> who's walking, you know, through the various backyards, and everybody's out in the backyards, and, you know, he's, he's coming to different parties, and I think he's, and, and I, I went up, and I was, I was kind of talking to him, and, and we, we didn't even have sparklers at this one, so I, I mean, I don't know if you can use sparklers in Whitefish Bay, we didn't even have sparklers, so we're, we're, we're clean in this particular thing, and I was just talking to him, I said, what's going on? And he said, we've, um, you know, we've gotten a series of complaints 
that people are you know shooting off fireworks. I said, well, yeah, that's, 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 that's yes, there were there were a lot of heavy duty fireworks that were being shot off, and and, and I was talking to the officer. I said, do you get a lot of these complaints? He said, well, he said, no, we, we've gotten several, and he said the um, he said it's this. He said, look, this is the last thing I want to do is come out and tell people to stop having fun. But you know, if you're violating the ordinances, you've got to come out. You, you've got to. You know, you've got to ask these questions, and you've got to like tell people to to knock it off. I don't know that they give citations. Don't know how the whole thing turned out, but I do know that I was a couple houses down from major league fireworks that were being shot off. Uh, mine was not apparently the only experience um, with this. Uh, Channel Twelve was reporting apparently how um, over the last couple of days, fireworks complaint complaints have flooded nine one one. Milwaukee police received over 500-plus calls. Waukesha police took over 100 calls. Um, Apparently, one caller says, This is the third night in a row some idiot is lighting off some really huge firecrackers. I mean, when they go off, it scares the living blank out of you. Um, WISN goes and talks to a a neighbor who's... um, who complained about, um, apparently the guy had his neighbor who complained about his fireworks. He said, it's kind of like we got tattled on, which I'm sure a lot of people do. As people who like fireworks, it's bogus because we're having fun. Families are out having a good time, and they're going to come and shut the party down. Apparently Waukesha, though, got flooded with um, calls. A lot of people are complaining that, um, you know, the dogs are getting scared when these things go off. Now, my dog... My dog, she, fireworks do not bother her. She doesn't like skateboards, and she doesn't like motorcycles, um, and she barks at other dogs. But you know, we took her to the Menominee Falls fireworks show, and, and she was just she was just fine. That 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 doesn't bother her. But I know it freaks out a lot of of dogs that are out there. Um, our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I want to discuss with you. Just one segment. Um, we're still in a period of time. I, I was at home like last night, and there was somebody in my neighborhood who was continuing to shoot off fireworks. And it, it wasn't, but you heard you heard the bang, you heard the bang. It wasn't it wasn't constant, but there was somebody that was doing that. Are fireworks a nuisance? Or around this time of the year, it's the Fourth of July, it's summer, and I understand there's ordinances against them. So we're, I'm not debating whether or not. I mean, the ordinances are good or bad or, or whatever. It's just some people view them as a, a nuisance and think that there needs to be aggressive enforcement. If your neighbor was, was firing off fireworks, um, would you call the cops on them? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm sure a lot of you deal with this um, because, you know, you, you live in these different neighborhoods. And, uh, again, this was the 4th of July, and the people that we were the, the, a couple houses down from where I was, um, they were they were shooting off heavy-duty stuff. There's no question about it. And some of the things were kind of – some of the, like, droppings were kind of dropping into the yard and all. But I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have called the police. I'm not surprised somebody necessarily did. Would you call the cops on on your neighbors? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jessica in Kenosha. Jessica, you're first. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Hi, Jessica. So I probably wouldn't call uh, on my neighbors, but, you know, by us, it's been like you would think you're in the middle of World War II. (laughs) People with these M80s and things like that, and then they put them in pipes and shoot them off in a pipe so that they make even more noise. Right. 
and do all this stuff. And it's kind of like, you know, you don't let your kids play out and scream and yell and have loud music after like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. When these fireworks are going off at midnight, 1 o'clock, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's the point where you say, come on, you guys, let's have some common sense. And you can have your fun, absolutely. Right. But... They have some common sense because there are people that live near you. Right. Or, and there's, you know, I mean, somebody whose alarm goes off at 5.15 every morning, <laughs> if, if I've just yeah. settled into sleep and all of a sudden, boom. Or, I, I will tell you, Jessica, if, again, I was saying earlier, it, it, they don't bother my dog, but if, if my, if, if there's a lot of dogs that freak out with, with fireworks. And if this was one oh. where, you know, some, somebody's blowing off these fireworks and the dog is up and the dog is going crazy, that's a different kind of dynamic. <laughs> Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you that my best friend came home the other night from watching the fireworks, and her dog was in the bathroom, diarrhea all over the place, <laughs> shaking and ground on the ground, like, you know, right. no tomorrow, and they had to settle the dog down and clean it all up, and then the fireworks keep going till 1 in the morning. Yeah, they were a little upset. Yeah. Um, okay, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. See, yep. to me, it's a time and a place thing, but actually, we're, we're going to, a lot of people want to weigh in on this. If you're on the line, please hold on. Okay, if your neighbor is blowing off fireworks, I mean, over, again, over the 4th of July, apparently 500 plus fireworks complaint calls in Milwaukee, over 100 in Waukesha. If, if your neighbor was blowing off fireworks, w- would you be calling the cops? We continue the conversation. It's 1117. <laughs> Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This Walk the Moon performing this evening at the Miller Light Oasis. Let's talk to, um, let's see, um, Jason in McGuanago. Jason, good morning. Hi, good morning. Okay, so the neighbors are shooting off fireworks. Would that be something that would cause you to call the cops? Uh, in this situation, I was the one shooting the fireworks off, and the, the neighbors called the cops on me. And then, you know, the cops came, said everything was okay. You know, we ended up shooting some more fireworks off, and now half our house is burnt down. Really? What happened? Yeah. How did it happen? Uh, we don't know, but it's from somebody's fireworks. Something happened that night, the 4th of July, and, you know, Maguanago, we just, it's a new subdivision, half the house gone. Hmm. Just from some fireworks, someone's placed by, maybe by the garbage can, maybe another neighbor shot off, but... We tried to buy the legal ones from the store. The cops say that are okay, but right. somehow stuff just happened, and now we're displaced and wow. from <laughs> some fireworks. Okay, so you've um, never again, I would guess, huh? Never again, <laughs> only watching them. Yeah, no, that, and that that is, I mean, thanks for that. That is that is the wow. I mean, half the house burned down. And that, of course, is the danger. I mean, remember a few years ago, you had the situation where the, the enormous fire at Patrick Cudahy, where you have these two yo-yos who are just out of the military or one's out of the military, and they've they, they've got a couple military flares, and you know they're down in Cudahy, where you've got all the houses that are close together. Gee, older houses close together. Let's shoot off military flares, and the one lands at the plant and sets the whole thing on fire. I mean, just, I mean, there there is this. I guess there is this this danger to them, and you always want to have this balance between okay, you you, you want to have fun versus the the annoyance that it is, and it, it's the danger to it. I mean, and, and the truth of the matter is, it's the, the more rural areas you get, the the less that danger 
probably is simply because okay if you're in the city of milwaukee and i look well i why well, have issues with like the sparkler ban i mean i understand for example why you don't want people shooting bottle rockets off and somebody landing on somebody's roof and the thing catching on fire but i would i call the neighbors for would i call the cops for you know an isolated okay the kids across the street are blowing off some fireworks probably not would I call the cops if it goes on for 30 minutes or an hour or if the dog is aggravated or if I see bottle rockets flying at my house? Um, I mean, I don't want to be the no fun guy, but at some point in time, um, yes. Okay, Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I would not call the police at all. And like the previous caller, I was one of the guys doing them uh, a little bit on the 4th of July. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I was considerate of our neighbors. Uh, we went to a, a park, a big parking lot, right. and actually had cars pulling in to watch our show. Um, <laughs> I think I think doing them real late at night is a little excessive. I mean, if you're especially in an urban setting, if you kind of kind of taper it back by ten thirty, eleven o'clock, right? Uh, especially over the weekend. But yeah, it, it's our nation's holiday. It's a it's a tradition. It's not quite a right, but no. me, uh, it's all in good fun, and people should just understand did, it. Did anybody hassle you? Because, I mean, obviously, it sounds like what you were doing was illegal. Did, did, you, did anybody call the cops on you or complain? Oh, absolutely not. We were, we were down on the south side, and a lot of big backyard fireworks. Right, yeah, and, you see a lot uh, of that. Can I ask you about how much, how much do you think that you or your group spent on the fireworks? Um, I personally spent... About one hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, okay, yeah. No, because I, I, I was just wondering because like I say the, the the folks that I was watching that were shooting off fireworks a couple houses down from where I was. My guess is they dropped at least a grand. These were big fireworks, and they had a lot oh, of yeah. them. That they were. Yeah. It gets expensive. Yeah, I mean, again, I think thanks for because see, I'm not. To me, I'm about sort of. I'm not the anti-fun police. I'm I'm about safety, and I'm about um, trying to be respectful. You know, on. On the evening of the 4th of July, as you're sitting there and you're waiting for the fireworks to start, okay, if some people are shooting off some fireworks or something, I'm not going to get too worked up about it. I do understand, though, that if it's 2 o'clock in the morning this, you know, tonight, for example, and you're trying to get to sleep or, like, the dog is freaking out or whatever, that's going to be a different sort of story. But it it is interesting, despite the fact that there's bans on fireworks and things, apparently uh, lots of people were ignoring this. And I'm not criticizing the police either. I mean, the reality is, you know, in the city of Milwaukee, where you've got carnage on the streets, it's tough to expect the police to go out and vigorously enforce fireworks laws when at any given time you might be fishing how many bodies off the streets. It's 1124. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Because you're Jeff Wecker, 620 WTMJ. This is uh, Michelle Branch, who's performing this evening at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage at Summerfest. Again, this is the last week of Summerfest. Be sure to check that out. The division-leading Brewers ride a four-game win streak into the final series before the All-Star break, and they're in New York to take on rookie phenom Aaron Judge and the Yankees. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle are live from the Bronx, beginning at 530. That is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right. Um, Disney Disneyland. 
Um, one of the attractions, actually, it's the la- it's one of the last attractions. It might be the last attraction that was designed by the late Walt Disney himself back in the '60s. It's the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Now, if you've ever been to either Disney World or Disneyland, you have perhaps been on this, and it's the ride that led to all the movie series and stuff. Well, pirates are decidedly non-PC. All right, that, that's it's just they're they're just they're decidedly. I mean, part of the thing about being a pirate arg is that you know you're you're going to reject the customs of society. So if if you've ever been on on the ride, there, there's at one point in time where you have the uh, pirates who are they're they're pillaging. I mean, that's what pirates pirates do. They, they pillage. And apparently there's one part of the attraction. I, I vaguely remember this. I mean, I, I've, I've, gone th- I've been on that ride a lot of times, and I've just never focused on being offended by stuff. But there's one section that apparently shows a parade of women being put on the auction block. And there is a banner that reads, Auction, take a wench for a bride. Okay, now, I, I, un- <laughs> okay, I understand... That, you know, in 2017, you wouldn't have women on the auction block with a sign that says, take a wench for a bride. But at the same time, this isn't set in 2017. This is a throwback to the pirate days. Well, apparently, people have been complaining about this particular scene so much that Disney has decided that it is going to do away with it. This, again, this was designed by Walt Disney, but they're going to get rid of, of, of this. And apparently they're going to replace it with a presumably less offensive scene. This would be pirates forcing the local townsfolk to give up their valuables. So apparently um, being robbed <laughs> is it's okay. It's okay to show the pirates robbing the townspeople. It's not okay to show the pirates I mean, auctioning off women. I, you know, it's just that this Walt Disney would be spinning in his grave. This isn't the first time that the Disney's had to do stuff like this. Apparently on, on Tom Sawyer's Island, which is another of their ride, they used to have frontier rifles, you know, mock frontier rifles, you know, for the, the pioneer would protect themselves from Indian attack. They had to take out the rifles. They had to go because people were offended. Apparently there was also a, a victim who for years and years lay sprawled in front of a burning settler's cabin with an with an arrow in his back. They had to remove that because people were uh, offended by that. I mean, it's just, you know, one one thing after another. And I, I understand, is it the biggest story? But, I mean, here, here you have, again, the forces of political correctness. And they reach to college campuses, and they reach to schools, and they reach to everyday life. And they even reach as far as the rides, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. Hmm. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, before the weekend review, let me give you some breaking news. Um, this is just out from the state, from the United States Supreme Court. You will remember, for, for going on two decades now, Wisconsin has had what has been called the cocaine mom law. This is a, a law that allows officials, law enforcement and health officials, to intervene in a situation where you have a pregnant woman who is a drug user, alcoholic, um, and is continuing to engage in this behavior um, while, while she's pregnant. 
And the, the law, it, it provides for court proceedings where, you know, if you have somebody, for example, you know, a woman who's seven months pregnant who continues to inject heroin, well, what it allows her to be done, to happen is that she can be held in essentially, essentially protective custody um, to stop her from doing cocaine or injecting heroin or, or whatever during the course of her pregnancy in order to at least give the, the baby a, a chance because we all know the, the hazards and we all know the problems. We all know what happens when you have the cocaine babies or whatever. So this law has been on the books for the, the better part of two decades. A very liberal federal judge in Madison who has a habit of striking down laws ruled this law to be unconstitutional. And not just, not just well, in disagreeing with the decision to detain a particular woman, he found the entire law to be unconstitutional and directed that it could not be enforced. The case is now being appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. What Attorney General Brad Schimmel, who, by the way, does an outstanding job, what he did is he was he wanted to seek a stay of this order. And that means put it on hold while while the the case is working its way through the courts, you know, in particular. I mean, the issue would be there's all sorts of there's women who are now detained, you know, and are getting drug treatment and they're being held. Um, you know, this ruling, does that mean that you have to let all those women loose, you know, turn them loose? And then what happens to the kids, which is the bottom line? In any event, this morning, the United States Supreme Court, with two justices dissenting, issued a stay of the federal judge's order. What that means is the state of Wisconsin is going to continue to be able to enforce the cocaine mom law while the case works its way through the court system. So for those of us who believe that this is an important thing in order to protect the health of unborn children, um, it's a big, big win. And it's another blow, again, to some of these more liberal activist type of judges, in this case, um, again, a judge out of Madison who issues lots of these rulings and who gets overruled a a lot. So the Supreme Court issuing a stay this morning in the cocaine mom law case. Um, We will continue, the state will continue to be able to protect unborn children um, whose mothers are drug addicted, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay, with that. We start with the week in review. Um, normally, we're, we're, I'm, I am the thorn between the two roses, Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. Susie's bailing on us today, so it's just you and me, Tracy Johnson. Uh, great to be here. From the Commercial Association of Realtors. Okay, let us go on off script for just a minute, Tracy. Um, another breaking story this morning. There is a group um, which has filed a petition seeking to start a recall campaign against Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. The, the grounds... It, it, it accuses him of misfeasance and malfeasance in office. It cites the his support for the trolley. It supports, uh, it, it says, his inability to control crime, um, various things like that. Is this going anywhere? It, it's not, and I think he handled it well in saying, you know, I'm open to dis, you know having a discussion with people who disagree with me. Um, you know, he's a seasoned politician. I think this is kind of an amateur move to to launch this recall because we all know it's not going to go anywhere. And I really think that uh, Mayor Barrett, he's he's won these elections in in such huge numbers in the past that they wouldn't be able to get the signatures. And even if they did come up with the signatures, you would run into this. Uh, the situation where you're saying, well, what are we really, what are we really mad about? Is it the Im- his stance on immigration? Is it the trolley? Is it crime? So why do it? 
um, to, to get attention, to yeah. make some headlines. And I think, you know, I, I truly think I, I don't understand it. I'd love to know really more about the rationale. They're kind of just causing dust. Good. Well, because I guess I wonder if, if I, by the way, I, I first of all, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's going to fail. I mean, and I guess I look at this, and this is my big issue with with recalls, and I want to be consistent. This was the point I was arguing about, you know, back in 2011 when you had the Walker recall. I mean, it, it's one thing if you want to accuse somebody, you want to try to recall somebody because they've committed a crime or something like that. But these are policy matters. I mean, just mm-hmm. like just like Act 10 was a policy matter. Elections have consequences. I'm looking at this recall petition and all the different issues that they're outlining. Okay, the trolley was an issue in the last mayoral campaign. Tom Barrett's handling of violent crime in Milwaukee is always an issue. I mean, it's it's... So elections matter. I just don't think you should. I mean, I just don't think that that's what you use recalls for. If you don't like it, you vote them out. Well, or you you rally your efforts and you rally all the people who disagree and put up a candidate that that will that will right. defeat him. So I don't understand what they're well, doing. Yeah, and the thing that I that's always bothered me about also these these recall efforts that are doomed to fail. And I, I agree with you. I think this one's doomed to fail. What you really do is you. You embolden the person that, that you're trying to recall. I mean, okay, so they, they go after they, they go after Barrett on this. They don't get anywhere near enough signatures. Well, okay, all you've done is you've allowed him to reinforce his argument sure. that hey, I, I'm on the right course because look, they tried yeah. to recall me and they didn't. Well, and I think his his supporters will be defending him, and and I think you'll you'll see that, and I think this will fizzle, and I think in the end, Mayor Barrett's going to come out looking like the like the winner here and the hero because of how he handled this even on the outset saying sure. yeah. let's sit down let's talk about it i always take these matters seriously sure. and again like i said this, this to me is what elections are all about and i was looking at the recall petition it seems to me all the issues are ones that bob donovan ran against him on i i agree with a lot of the points that are mm-hmm. made by the recall petition but they're not enough well it's also right it, it's also that that's it if if the city of Milwaukee voters don't want to throw him out for his support of the super trolley, okay, that, that's their decision. I don't live in the city of Milwaukee. Okay, um, story number two, and I know this is something that you have been very you, you lobby, and we'll disclosure. I mean, you know, on behalf of your group, you know, you work with um, a number of state legislators. Um, we hope to have a budget done by last Friday, and and. Not only is it not done, but it really doesn't appear that it's necessarily any closer. You have the governor who says uh, on transportation, he's not going to allow a tax increase. Mm -hmm. The state Senate goes along with him. The state assembly continues to push for funding methods. How is this going to resolve itself? Well, it's interesting. They, they, Transportation, we, everybody knew that this was going to be the issue that was going to hold things up. We all knew it was going to be thorny, a horse nest, that we weren't going to have agreement. And there were even some statements, some reporters were saying, and, and some of the legislators were saying, man, nobody's going to be happy with the end result. I think it's positive that the governor's throwing some things out there, acknowledging that there's some waste to be cut. I think his stance on... He the, says he's willing to reduce borrowing from $500 million to $300 million if that can get it done. Well, yeah. and even to support some of the federal funding. So, so transportation aside, though, this is a Republican-led legislature, and they need to figure this out. This isn't going to be a bipartisan measure. I think they've got a couple more weeks on this, but not a couple more months, because once we start to get into the fall, you're starting to talk about the impact it's going to have on the K-12 through education, uh, and I think you're, you're going to run into the issues. Because if for people who don't know, when you don't pass a state budget... You just kind of continue on as is, unlike the federal government right, that where shuts they, down. Where, theoretically. Do the Republicans look bad out of this? 
I, they're starting. It's starting to look a little, uh, a little dicey, and I, I, I think there's reason to to be concerned. And I think that having some of these closed door meetings and really getting to the bottom of it uh, is is helpful. Fighting it on Twitter and in the press is is making them look bad. What I don't see, Tracy, and I know you you, you talked. I see. I don't understand what the end game is because <clears throat> you've got. I mean, the governor is the most powerful political figure in Wisconsin, who is also, you know, running for going to be mm-hmm. he's going to be running for election, you know, once they, they ever get a budget done, you know, and he's made it very, very clear that he's not going to sign off on on tax increases. He's not. And you can agree with him or you can disagree yeah. with him, but he's not signed. And he's been very, very clear. The state Senate is on board with right. that. Um, and we talked last week even about the, the heavy gas, the, the truck and that added tax on heavy trucks. Five members of the state Senate said Republicans said we're, we're not signing off on this, and so that was enough to kill that. What is the state assembly trying to do by continuing to push tax increases? Well, I think they 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 many of the leadership ran on a, a platform that they wanted to to attack tax reform, and I think they're they're trying to get at it. And I think um, with transportation really in the middle of all of this, it, that's where it becomes so thorny because there are so many different ways to to approach it, but. Um, I think you have a, a number of individuals who feel like they were put in this position to make a real difference and, and a real change and, and, and real substantive change. I know uh, Speaker Voss has said, listen, we need to find new revenue. That's the bottom line. We need to find new revenue. And his constituents, um, and I think many in the state assembly, uh, would would agree with him. His constituents or the road builders? Um the constituents or the special mind, interests. Well, keep in mind he represents you know, many of the you know in southeastern Wisconsin, a, a place where there's a lot of commercial real estate development and a lot of new businesses coming to the area, um, and the roads matter. So, um, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if the roads weren't even part of this conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, well, see, but they I, need to figure it out. They, they do. I, I think what's going to be interesting. I, I think if there are really a large number of members of the state assembly that that think that the way Republicans win elections is by going on and campaigning about things that are going to raise people's taxes. I'm more than willing to have that debate. I think that they need to do it in the next election cycle. Come out and say, okay, you send us to Madison and we're going to raise your gas tax. But it's all the positioning. And I think what's what's starting to happen is they're doing the polling. People are, you know, and not that they're manipulating the words in these polling, but, but people, I think, generally would be in support of some sort of of, of new funding because they know that it's going to lead to, you know, more better infrastructure, better communities, and all of that. So I think they're they're starting to test the waters, and maybe it won't happen this time around. But I think something will happen in in the in the near future. Well, well, it has think, to. And and that that could be moving forward. I'm just saying you got to get a budget done in, in the near future. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention as we always do, we are live streaming this on Facebook. <laughs> so if you go to um, Facebook.com, 620WTMJ. You can see the the two of us. Um, We're going to be back with lots more. It's the Week in Review, and we've got our Right Stuff Awards coming up as well. It's 1146. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson. It's the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson. This is our weekend review. Um, the, the big sort of national story, and I understand the president is meeting with Vladimir Putin today, and and then you've got you know what do you do about the crazy man in North Korea? But the media is obsessed with the CNN versus Trump takedown. Now, since we talked last, Tracy, um, the, the president decided to send out this video 
that somebody had made going back to the WrestleMania days where he's body slamming Vince McMahon, except instead of Vince McMahon, there's a balloon over McMahon's face that says CNN. CNN then um, and a number of other people say, oh, this is the president encouraging um, violence against uh, journalists. And then then it gets even weirder. CNN investigates who made this, and it turns out to be the guy that did it is on Reddit and has a history of making anti-Semitic things. And CNN says, well, we told him that as long as he apologized and promised not to do it again, we wouldn't uh, air his name. Some people are now saying that this isn't what journalists do and that CNN is extort- extorting him. What's a mess? And let me, let, let's start with the basic premise. Who's winning this, if anybody? Boy, I think the politically correct answer is nobody's winning, right? But um, I'm, I, although I'm a little bit biased, I have to say that CNN is not winning here. Um, they are just time and time again proving the, the president right, that they're kind of full of it. They're fake news. Their ratings are tanking. Um, nobody's interested in, in what they have to say. I mean, they had a number of other stories, I think, that were debunked. And they're, they're just, they've got this derangement against the president. And unfortunately... Even though the president isn't necessarily acting in the best behavior, um, it's making him look good. Well, what about, uh, okay, what about who starts this? I mean, is it presidential for the leader of the free world to retweet this bizarre video in the first place? No. I mean, obviously it's not presidential, but I think we've established that this isn't your normal, everyday president. Not only that, but when you talk about social media and trying to, um, you know, put restraints on that, you, you just can't do that. And I think what the president kind of came to throughout this election cycle is that I can't count on the me- traditional media to, to report the things that I want to say. Right. Um, and so I'm going to take to the to the social media airwaves. And and by the way... Well, I don't know that it's a lot of us... I, my objection isn't so much that he decides to use Twitter or whatever right. to, to run around or over or under the, the mainstream media, whatever that is. It's more what he's doing <laughs> right it's more it's it's more the videos or the let's go after the morning joe people that that's the type but of stuff his, i think uh, there are a lot of people that in his support base that that like that and pay attention to that and think that the media is full of it so um while he's not speaking to 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 me in that regard in doing this um i think he's speaking to a to a lot of people i'm i'm more like you in looking at the the substance than the style right. Um, and it's unfortunate sometimes, but but I also think about if he wasn't doing this and getting in the attention, would we? What would we be talking about? Right. I mean, would we really be talking about his meetings overseas and the right. fact that he's meeting with all of these controversial officials? Would that really be news? No, I, we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about right. CNN well, and the right. fighting and well, Mika. And, and you know, it's interesting. There was somebody, um, a, a journalism professor out of Columbia uh, from from Columbia University, who. Um, made a really interesting he's, they said that regardless of of the president the media the cnns of the world need to stop making the story about themselves and, and that's really one of the things that has that this has now happened you know trump has been able to portray this as sense of since me against the the media and the media whatever that may be is now kind of fighting back and so it, it used to be the journalists covered the news mm-hmm. instead of 
making themselves the news. Well, and sure. that's now what's going on. Well, and the, the victimization. I, yeah. I was watching uh, The Morning Joe, and, and I only right. did it for that one time, um, watching Morning Joe, and they, they were just sitting there going, oh, woe is me. But when you look back, I, I forgot who compiled this. I think it was Geraldo Rivera or something, put a compilation together of all the attacks that the media had presented, not just on the president, but his family. And Everything that he does, it's derangement, and it needs well, to And stop. I also think it's this ridiculous, I mean, the idea that, okay, so, so Trump tweets out this this parody version of, of himself at, at WrestleMania, and, and you can argue it's non-presidential, but then, oh, this is encouraging people to go out and attack reporters. Get over yourselves. Okay, we've got uh, the Right Stuff Awards coming up in just a couple minutes. It's 1154, Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson. It is our weekend review on News Radio 620, WTMJ. <laughs> Eleven fifty-seven. Jeff Wacker, six twenty. WTMJ. All right, we can review. Tracy Johnson, this is the, your Right Stuff Award. Who gets it? All right. Well, this week, uh, my Right Stuff Award um, goes to uh, State Senator Ted Cannavis, who passed away earlier this week. Um, I'm just I'm glad to have the opportunity to just acknowledge. Um, not only what he did for the state during his time in office, but obviously his work um, with Michael Best strategies. And whether you agree with him or not, um, I just have to say on a personal note, um, he was someone who met with me and gave me some really good career advice. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that. And uh, my thoughts and prayers with his family. Ted, Ted was the type of person who should have been involved in politics. And as we say often, cancer sucks. It's just terrible. Gone too, way, way too soon. That's a great choice. Um, my, my Right Stuff Award, it goes to, I'm, I'm just going to call him Jordan. Jordan is the 64-year-old man from Muskego. We talked about this earlier, who saw that the cemetery down in Muskego that houses graves of veterans that's just been allowed to be completely and totally overrun by weeds, by negligence of the city of Muskego. He shows up with a lawnmower, and he cleans it out himself. Um, for his efforts, he's gotten a $500 citation from the city of Muskego. Um, I, I hope the city attorney has more sense than perhaps some of the other people there and ends up dropping it. But uh, the guy's name, Jordan, you are my Right Stuff Award winner for this week. Um, Tracy, thank you. Let's send it down to Summerfest. This is the last day at Summerfest for Eric Bilstadt and Steve Scafidi. Guys? We are live at Summerfest. Lots going on. It's not a slow Friday by, by any means, but we're going to start the show off with South Milwaukee's no longer banning pit, pit bulls. Interesting take. We're, we've talked to the mayor this morning. We'll, uh, we'll bring you that audio. Lots going on at Summerfest. We'll also talk to Steve Lenny from the classic free ride given away on Sunday. And we will have reaction from the mayor of Milwaukee to the recall. We'll have that next hour as well on Scafidi and Billstead.